Shalom, everyone. Uh, bow your head with me. Heavenly Father Yahweh, we come before you on your beautiful Sabbath day that you set apart for us, Father, to rest, to worship, and to focus on you, Father. Come before you now, thanking you for the breath in our lungs, the roof over our heads, the clothes on our back, the things we take for granted every day. And I pray that the words that I speak, they're not mine, Father. We pray that they be yours, and anything that is of me, just go unnoticed, Father, and Pray that you just be with us for the remainder of this Sabbath, and we thank you, we praise you, and we love you for all things in Yeshua's name. Hallelujah. So remember like a year ago when I said I was going to do a message on all the minor prophets? I'm getting around to it. <laughs> um, it's been a little while, but I figured what better way to hop back into the, to the groove of things than to hit on Obadiah because it's uh, short and sweet. Um. Have you ever watched one of those court shows, Judge Judy or any one of those other ridiculous shows that are out there? There's something satisfying about it when the bad guy gets what's coming to them. When there's clearly, they usually set up cases that are just, I mean, you have to be blind to not see who's in the right and who's in the wrong. And they do that for a reason because people like to see justice served. You know, when you see the, the deadbeat father who's just a dirtbag, and then the mother's just, oh, she's just so perfect, and you just want to help her out, and then the, the judge passes down a sentence, and you're just like, yeah. You know, justice is sweet. Or have you even been on a jury? I've never had to serve jury duty yet. Hallelujah. But I know people that have and had to pass a verdict on a criminal. You're part of a, a jury of your peers passing justice down. Or have you ever seen a high-profile case on television? I mean, if there's, if there's one that's like a big one, everybody knows about it, right? And justice is actually served for a change. It doesn't happen often, but it does happen. And when it does happen, it is so sweet. When you know the person who is wrong gets justice. It's a, or if somebody who has been wronged gets justice. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And that's what Obadiah is all about. Obadiah's name means servant of Yahweh. And honestly, it's a pretty common name in Scripture. There's a few things to consider when reading through Obadiah and studying Obadiah and the things that he talks about. Well, <laughs> there we go. There we go. Some things to consider. There are 13 different people in the Old Testament named Obadiah. There are certain Jewish traditions that state that um, he was one of Ahab's stewards who hid roughly 100 prophets from Jezebel, Ahab's wife, in 1 Kings 18, 3-4, who feared Yahweh from his youth, in first, it says in uh, 1 Kings 18, 12, he may have also been Obadiah, who was sent by Jehoshaphat to teach the law in Judah in 2 Chronicles 17, 7. Or the Obadiah, who was one of the overseers in repairing the temple under Josiah in 2 Chronicles 34, 12. Whoever this Obadiah was, wherever he lands, he may not have been any of them. It might have been a totally different one. But whoever it was, the lessons that we learn from Obadiah are valuable today. And since Obadiah is so short... I'm just going to read through the whole chapter. It's only 21 verses, so it's not, uh, 
it's not a terribly long, it's not a terribly long read. So if you guys want to open up your scriptures to the book of Obadiah, I'm going to read through, and he's the first one, so he shouldn't be too hard to find, you'd think, as I flip through here for 10 minutes. He's so small, he's hard to find. And like I said, Obadiah is all about justice. You know, it's hard to... It's hard to live in this world we live in sometimes because you see such grievous, it seems to be just such grievous perversions of justice all around us. And there is a, uh, there's something to be said about justice whenever you finally see it come and it finally hits, it finally just hits and it's just so, so sweet. So Obadiah starts in verse 1, the vision of Obadiah. Thus saith my sovereign Yahweh concerning Edom. We have heard a rumor from Yahweh, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, and let us rise up against her in battle. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that sitteth, or excuse me, that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? Though Thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and thou set thy nest among the stars. Thence I will bring thee down, saith Yahweh. If thieves came to thee, if robbers by night, how art thou cut off? Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If the great gatherers came to thee, how would they not leave some grapes? How are the things of Esau searched out? How are his hidden things sought up? All the men of thy confederacy have brought thee even to the border of the men that were at that were at peace with thee. Excuse me. The men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee and prevailed against thee that they eat thy bread. Eat thy bread have laid a wound under thee. There is none understanding in him. I shall shall I not in that day saith Yahweh even destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of the mount of Esau. And thy mighty men, O Timon, shall be dismayed to the end that everyone of the moment of the Mount of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. For thy violence against thy brother Jacob, Jacob's shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces, and foreigners entered into his gates and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou wast one of them, but thou should have, shouldest have not looked on that day of thy brother in, in the day that he became a stranger. Neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. Thou shouldest not have entered into the gates of thy people in the day of their calamity. Yea, thou shouldst have, have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Neither shouldst thou have stood in the crossway to be cut off those of his that did escape. Neither shouldst thou have delivered up those that did remain in the day of distress. For the day of Yahweh is near upon all the heathen. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. For as ye have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. 
Yea, they shall drink, and they shall swallow down, and they shall be as though they had not been. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble. And they shall kindle in them and devour them, and there shall be not any remaining of the house of Esau, for Yahweh hath spoken it. And they of the south shall possess the mount of Esau, and they of the plain the Philistines, and they shall possess the fields of Ephraim, the fields of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. And the captivity of this host and the children of Israel shall possess that of the Canaanites, even unto Zarephath, the captivity of Jerusalem, which is in Sepharad, all or excuse me, shall possess the cities of the south, and saviors shall come up on Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau, and the kingdom shall be Yahweh's. So this is a pretty short message Obadiah is bringing to, uh, to these people. And now we're going to examine just a couple things, both the immediate fulfillment of this prophecy that was brought against these folks, and some of the future things that could be tied to it as well. So it's immediate fulfillment. Edom's destruction began with a Babylonian invasion under Nebuchadnezzar around 600 years before Messiah. And it continued into the 4th century BCE with the invasion of the Arabs, known as the Nabataeans, forcing them into a region south of Judah. In the 2nd century BCE, the Maccabees brought them under subjugation when Judas Maccabeus slew 20,000 of them. And John Hyrcanus, in 134 through 104 BCE, forced the remnant to accept circumcision and the law. Now, and it's, so these are things that have happened and they're documented that took place. Now, in its ultimate fulfillment, we're likely looking at something to do with the coming of the Messiah. And for with his coming and establishing of the spiritual kingdom in the beginning of Jerusalem, beginning in Jerusalem, you have deliverance and holiness did come from Mount Zion, i.e. Jerusalem in Luke 24, 47. And the house of Jacob, i.e. true spiritual Israel, did possess Edom as the Gentiles among them became believers. In Romans 11, 13 through 18, where the faithful Gentiles are spoken of as being grafted into the stock of Israel. Romans 11, verses 13 through 18 says, For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them, for if their being cast away is the reconciling of the word, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? For if the, first fruit is ho- if the first fruit is holy, then the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. And to support this interpretation, you need to consider uh, the prophecy of Balaam out of Numbers 24, 15 through 19. You want to turn over with me right now. I have this short bit here, but I didn't want to put the whole thing up. Got to keep you guys on your toes. So Numbers chapter 24, verses 15 through 19 says, And he took up this parable... 
and said, Balaam, the son of Beor, hath said, and the man whose eyes are open hath said, He hath said, which heard the words of El, and he knew the knowledge of the Most High, which saw the vision of the Almighty, falling into a trance, but having his eyes open. I shall see, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come, come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Sheth. And Edom shall be a possession. Seir also shall be a possession for his enemies. And Israel shall do valiantly. Out of Jacob shall come he that shall have dominion. And shall destroy him that remaineth of the city. So this prophecy foretells how a star will come out of Jacob. And a scepter shall rise out of Israel. I believe this is talking about the Messiah. And how Edom will become a possession. And this also runs right into the prophecy over in Amos chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. On that day I will rise, raise up the tabernacle of David which has fallen down and repair its damages. And I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may, be, that they may possess the remnant of Edom. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, saith Yahweh, who does this thing. And then we have a further confirmation of this. Edom, when it says that they will become a possession, is not talking about destruction in a literal way. I mean, they were literally destroyed, but these people, the Gentile people, becoming a possession, there's something to that. And this is further um, verified in Acts chapter 15, verses 13 through 17. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how Elohim at the at the first, visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this I will return and rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up, so that the rest of mankind may seek Yahweh, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name. So, here we have like a triple confirmation here. Edom stood by the wayside. They really bungled this whole relationship with the father. Because when Israel and Judah and everybody around them, all of their people, their brother was being attacked. Not only did they stand by the wayside, but they helped find them and turn them in. And Yahweh said, he took everything from them. Took everything. Pulled the rug right out from underneath them. And now, as irony would have it, they belong to Yahweh again. James understood this conversion of the Gentiles to be a fulfillment of Amos. Therefore... The fulfillment is figurative, not literal, as the Gentiles became believers. So now that we have the groundwork kind of laid out with Obadiah, what does any of this have to do with us? Well, the world around us is wicked, very, very wicked. Today we look around and inadvertently we often quote Psalm 13, you know, how long, O Yahweh? And I want to read through that psalm right now because I feel like that is almost an anthem for us these days. Psalm 13, 1 through 6. How long, O Yahweh, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider me and hear me, O Yahweh, my Elohim. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in your mercy bountifully with me. I mean, 
I've said this myself when I see some of the stuff going on in the world around me. Not just politically here, but I mean just the craziness all over the world, especially now. But just like the psalm we read, Obadiah is all about justice for the oppressed. Final retaliation against those who would hurt the innocent. An interesting fact, Obadiah is the only prophetic book in the Bible addressed specifically to a Gentile nation. The fact that Yahweh revealed his plans to the Edomites through an Israelite prophet is proof to me that Yahweh has a sense of irony. It's like asking the victim of a crime to deliver the jury's verdict and the judge's sentence to the guilty culprit. There's comfort in being chosen to convey the message of justice to one's oppressors. Obadiah had to be honored and he probably felt pretty good delivering this message to the Edomites. Because you've got to think, all this took place after, uh, East, after the Edomites turned their back on their brother. And so here you have Obadiah rolling into the scene, and he just buckle up. Things are about to get real bad for you. And the message of Obadiah is that the Edomites would be completely and totally exterminated because of their unrepentant, remorseless stubbornness about their wickedness against Israel's noncombatants, these innocent people. Yahweh would wipe the globe clean of Edomites and every trace of their bloodthirsty legacy. I mean, think about it. Have you ever eaten at an Edomite restaurant? Have you ever toured any holy sites in the cities of Edom? I guess you could say this like worldly sites maybe, but officially, are there any religious holidays observed by an Edomite remnant anywhere on the planet? The absence of all things Edomite is passive but potent proof that Yahweh's prophecy has been fulfilled literally. Now, that's not to say the spirit of Edom doesn't live, linger on. It does. Mankind is wicked in the same way their spiritual Israel, their spiritual Edom. We see reprobate, unrepentant attitude growing ever more out in the world day to day. Randy gave a message on it. Elder Randy gave a message on it a while back. America's reprobate spirit. And, that's, and that's, our country, I think we a lot of times like to, we, the world's a big place. And it's a wicked one. And a lot of times I think we're in a bubble here in this country because I don't think we fully appreciate everything going on around the world around us. But it isn't difficult to connect the dots for people from back then to warnings about the world today. Just as sure as the word of Yahweh is about the judgment of Edom, so certain is the doom that awaits all those who reject the forgiveness and mercy found only in the Messiah, Yahshua. The same Bible that predicted the devastation of Edom, who rejected Yahweh's offer for forgiveness, is the same Bible that promises the destruction of those who reject Yahshua the Messiah. Sometimes it's easy to read through Obadiah and kind of glaze over the It seems like it's all just judgment, 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 judgment. But really, Yahweh, if you read through it, Yahweh said, because of your proud and your unrepentant and your just rebellion... Yahweh extended an olive branch, and he always does. He always gives fair warning when judgment's on the way. These people had every chance to, to repent and change their ways and uh, to essentially to apologize to Yahweh for what they did, but they didn't do it. That's why they were judged, and that's why they were so harshly treated. So while physical Edom has been erased, the spirit of Edom and that wickedness the people perpetrated is still alive and it will be until Satan is done away with forever. 
But in the meantime, what do you do? We're surrounded by an evil and perverse people who would literally rather see people like us stuck in camps or killed or silenced completely. I mean, they're not, they don't hide their feelings towards people who are, well, we're just not very tolerant, I guess you'd say. Can you imagine for the people in this world pushing for pedophilia to hear the truth and turn to Yahweh in repentance? Could you imagine that happening? I have a hard time seeing it happen. Not to say it can't. But just recently there was a message. They took it down. Hallelujah. They took it down. From the San Francisco Gay Man's Chorus. With a song about coming after their children. It's out there. You can see it. And it's horrible. And they tried to pretend it didn't happen. But it's out there. And we cannot underestimate how filthy and evil these people are. I believe we're going to start seeing some things that are truly wicked and horrible become very normalized very soon. And to speak out against these things will be considered a sin worthy of punishment in their eyes. I mean, who are we to judge, right? Judge not. After all, they like to throw that one around a lot. Over in Second Chronicles, there is a message of hope in all this, though. Over in Second Chronicles 20, verse 15. And he said, listen, all you of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus saith Yahweh, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but Elohim's. I think that sometimes it's easy to become overwhelmed with the wickedness of the world. Sometimes you just want to close yourself off and just buckle down and just don't do anything in your life. And it's easy to live in fear in that way. And you just sit there praying to yourself, Psalm 13, over and over again. Yahweh, come quickly. You know, how long? How long? And I think we're a little reluctant to call a spade a spade because of that sometimes. And our desire to bring the word to the world makes it difficult. As that is our mission. That was what we're commanded to do. But there will come a time when preaching to those who are wayward like this, it won't be an option anymore. At least not for the time being. The Messiah spoke of this moment. Yeshua spoke of this moment in Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened unto ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took the oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for the lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and for you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came, also saying, Master, Master, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. I think we're still required to preach the truth for as long as we can. We must always keep our ear to the ground, however, because there's going to come a time when we might not be able to share that oil with people anymore. And when judgment's finally here, 
we have to hunker down. When, that's when you hunker down. When it gets to the point where everything's going down, that's when we lock ourselves in the room and just pray until the fury passes. Over in Isaiah chapter 26, verses 20 through 21. Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourselves, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is past. For behold, Yahweh comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood, and there will no more cover her slain. And that's kind of a, that's kind of a strange thought to have, that there will come a time when what we're doing now is not what we need to do anymore. There will come a time when, you know, we have to keep each other safe and, and, and help and protect and encourage one another. But bringing it to the world, is, that's, that time has come and it has gone. That's a strange thing for me to think about, especially working for a ministry. That's all I do all day is talk to people. What if Obadiah decided that he didn't want to offend? What if Jonah got his way? Yahweh's judgment is coming, and all we can do is shout as loudly about it for as long as we can. Even if it doesn't convert the wicked, even if it doesn't convert the wicked, Yahweh always gives fair warning. He's a just and righteous Elohim. And besides, if we can save even one soul, then it's all worth it. But, you know, our shouting and our, you know, it may not be for their benefit. It may be so Yahweh can say, I warned you. That's another thing that's hard for me to grasp sometimes, is that a warning is not always to get people to repent. Sometimes it's just to say, here's what's coming. You know, and then at that point, if they decide to repent, that's great. But I think it's almost like back in World War II, before they bombed a town, they dropped flyers and say, get out of town, because this time tomorrow, this entire place is going to be a parking lot. But you give fair warning, that way innocent people can get out. We obviously need to have mercy when applicable. However, after Yahweh hands, over to a, hands people over to a reprobate mind, who are we to undo his work? The enemy does not hold himself to the same standard Yahweh commands of us. So we have to be extra vigilant, as Satan is not above using lies and false witness to further this cause. Over in Matthew 21... Verse 4 through 12. And Yahshua answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceive you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All of these things are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended. And they will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. I have to think to myself, you see the conflict Roar, I mean, I mean, how long have we heard we're, oh, World War III? It's coming. It's coming. We're going to get in World War III. Oh, this, these people, this gang is going to kill you and everybody you know, and this gang is going to rise up and take over and kill that gang. I mean, everybody, it's, it's chaos, right? There's nothing, there's nothing 
It's always been this way, but it's bubbled to the surface now more than I've ever seen it, or ever even read about in history. Yahshua says, don't be troubled by this. These things have to happen. Just know that. But I have to ask, has the love of many waxed cold? I would say it has. So much so that people are turning on their own families. I know mean, many people in this room have dealt with this. Family members who have just, they've just turned their back on you completely. I talked to a gentleman this week. He called in. And his son said, you are no longer allowed to see your grandchildren until you get vaccinated. Families and friends, over, over, I mean, don't even get me started on that. But families and friends are turning on each other. While this isn't really new, we are seeing it more and more. And I've, I'm hearing it more and more. Being on the phones with people, I hear people, oh, man, my mom, she just doesn't. I had a guy who ordered a Bible who wanted it sent to a friend's house because his mom would lose it if she found that Bible. And so I had to send it to her, his neighbors so she could give it to him because she would, whew, Yahweh forbid, right? It's amazing. And we're, you see, many will be offended. Good grief if that is not coming true. And I think this is truer now than we've ever seen it before in history. I mean, people, I mean, it doesn't matter what you do. Somebody's going to be upset and angry about it. And that, it, it, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, somebody gets offended, they're going to turn you in. You're a bigot and a racist anyway. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you say. It's never going to be enough. And we have to be extra vigilant that these things don't sneak into the body. This is, hands down, one of the most dangerous things we face. Obviously, the world's going to be wicked. But what happens when that sin penetrates the flock? What needs to happen then? And all of this, all of this kind of leads to, you know, trusting in Yahweh. Trust in Yahweh. Just know that he's, he's got our back in all of this. These things have to happen, as the Messiah said. So what do you do when something like this, you see something and you notice something's off, and one of the brothers or one of the sisters or one of the youth is stumbling, and they're getting involved in something they shouldn't. What do you do? Over in Isaiah 58, chapter 1, or 58, verse 1, excuse me. Cry aloud and spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. I'll tell you something. If you want to be uncomfortable... Go confront somebody in love about a sin that they're committing. It is a necessity, mind you, but man, I'll tell you, that has got to be one of the most uncomfortable things. Like, hey, hey, I noticed you were doing X, Y, Z, and you might want to stop that. Now, scripturally, that's the right thing to do. But scripturally, it says that many are going to get offended at things like this. And so it's a, it's a delicate balance. And you don't want to be the one being offended when somebody comes to correct you. Now that's, again, you want to be uncomfortable. Have somebody come tell you that you're doing something wrong. (laughs) And then don't get offended at it. Take it in the stride because Yahweh chastises those he loves. And to know that they're coming to you in gentleness and love, that is a test of patience for all of us. Again, it's necessary. Not just to help the person overcome that sin, but for the safety of the flock. 
as one of the main challenges we face is the enemy sneaking in and sowing discord. There's a reason why Yahweh is so explicit in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. These six things Yahweh hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him. Now, I want you to parallel this with what what Obadiah talks about. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. I'm pretty sure Edom checked all those boxes. And these are things, Yahweh has a criteria that is typically met for it to be considered like, okay, this it's time for judgment on these people. And these are six things that I think that if you, if you check all these boxes off, you better get on your knees. And I think I can say with some boldness that the world we're living in now, just like Edom of old, is actively working towards checking all of these off the list. I mean, think about it. A proud look. Well, we just got done with Pride Month, right? A lying tongue. Take your pick. Men or women, women or men, people or animals, and plants have rights. It doesn't matter. Outright lies are preached as truth, and if you speak against it, you get censored or punished or worse. Hands that shed innocent blood. Abortion. I mean, plain and simple. That is the, I mean, the definition of innocent. And the random attacks we see on, on the elderly and the young. You see all these security cameras. It's amazing. we got all these security cameras, yet nobody ever gets caught. But you can see it. You can look them up. There's hundreds of them on the Internet. People, old people walking down the street, somebody comes up and just beans them, knocks them out. And they're dead on the ground, or they're, not, or they're severely wounded. And young people, just minding their own business, people just run up to them, just beat the tar out of them, and then take off. Hands to shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Just look at the rate of people who are even the slightest bit against the woke mob. They are canceled. They are just, their jobs, whatever, it doesn't matter. They lose their jobs. They lose their families. They lose their friends. Anything. They lose all of their standing within the world. And they are quick to bring their own to the chopping block. If you, if, you, if you don't stay woke enough, long enough, consistently enough, you're done too. And they are quick to bring their own perverted form of justice to those who dare question them. And they eat their own. It, it doesn't take long. Sit back and watch it sometime. You find one person, some celebrity, says, oh, well, I stand for these people. And then, well, don't you stand for these people too? And the next thing you know, send them to the gallows. They're done. Feet that are swift to running to evil. And this is tied in well with the previous uh, point. These people waste no time in bringing evil to the forefront. And, and then they take evil and they call it compassion and tolerance. And then a false witness who speaks lies. This is something that's extremely common. It's false allegations of a slew of different things have ruined the lives of many innocent people. And it happens, but it's not an accident. That's one of the things that I think, that's got to be one of the things I think is just, I can't hardly stand, is when you see somebody who's innocent go to prison 
everybody thinks they're guilty. And then 30 years after they're locked up for a crime they didn't commit, somebody comes forward and says, yeah, I made it up. Are you kidding? Evil. These people have been given over to a reprobate mind. To them, this is just second nature. Truth is subjective. And if you have to lie to silence your opponents, so be it. It's a small price to pay, right, for tolerance and for acceptance. And then seven, the last point, is one who sows discord among the brethren. I've seen this one before many times. I think we all have. Anybody that's been in this walk for any length of time has seen somebody who maybe someone comes in with a different view on something. Or Now, that in and of itself is not necessarily a problem because it's fine to have disagreements and different interpretations of Scripture. You know, that's what it's all about, iron sharpening iron and all that. But this is different. These are people who, whether they know it or not, their main goal is to fragment the body. Whether it's out of frustration or jealousy or anger or whatever the case may be, they may not know they're doing it, but a lot of times somebody will walk out with a chip on their shoulder about something that may, nobody else may have even noticed. And they get upset and they leave. And they think, if I can't have things my way, I'm going to take as many people along with me as I can and turn as many people on each other as I can. Now, that may not be what's in their heart, but as the days go on, that's kind of what happens. I've seen this, like, since I was a little kid. Somebody come in, and they just got beef over something, and the next thing you know, they're taking their friends and their clicky little groups, and next thing you know, 15 people are gone, or 10 people, or 5 people. It doesn't matter. The body itself is already strained and spread thin. Do we really need people who are actively trying to undermine the work of the Messiah and the body and destroy it from within? I mean, we're all we've got. There's a reason Yahweh hates it. Jude warns of this in uh, Jude 1, verses 3 through 4. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation... I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed long ago who were marked out for this condemnation, wicked men who turn the grace of our Elohim into lewdness and deny our only sovereign Yahweh and our master Yahshua. Now, the people that they might leave, they might not be doing it with this in mind, but I know that there are people who maybe they come to the truth They understand what the truth is. They recognize what the truth is, but they're not quite there yet. And uh, they're kind of like the the seeds planted on the rocky soil. You know, they spring up, oh, they're on fire. But then for the deeper things, they have no depth to them. And those people leave. And it's just like when you pull a weed out of shallow soil. And the weed never just comes up. It takes a little bit with it. That's how it is when you're dealing with the wicked. You're removing them from the body. It's like weeding a garden. You lose a little bit every time you have to remove one. I mean, it's better than leaving it in there because then it chokes out the rest of the plants. But that's just the nature of things, and we have to minimize that damage as much as we can. These folks who come in only to sow discord and disruption will be judged, and we have to be vigilant to limit that damage they cause to the believers. Just like Edom of old, Yahweh's judgment is going to come on this earth. All the wrongs and the wickedness and the evil that has been paid to innocent people will be rectified. And Yahweh will cleanse the earth of sin. And much like the last verse of Obadiah, we have a message of hope 
Verse 21 says, And deliverers will come up out of Zion to judge the Mount of Esau, and the kingdom shall be Yahweh's. Now, salvation did, in fact, come out of Zion. We have the Messiah's Yeshua sacrifice in his coming reign. We will teach the world Yahweh's kingdom and government and prepare the way for the kingdom to come. Now, I know I said, well, when Yahweh gives people over to a reprobate mind, who are we to undo his work? Well, I think when the Messiah is here in the flesh, on the earth, I think people are going to be a little bit more apt to listen. It's just my personal opinion. There's a hope and a light at the end of this tunnel. Man's wickedness is transitory and fleeting. And as dark as man has made this world, it will not last. The trials we face today are nothing when we compare to the hope we have for eternity. So while the world is sinking further and further and further into sin, we have to stay vigilant, not just against the sin among our flock, but also for the return of Yahshua, because gears are going to shift when things really start to, to unwind in this world. Things are it's going to shift. Our, our kind of like Yahshua's role is going to change when he returns from being our sacrifice to our righteousness, right? So much like that, our role is going to change, at least temporarily, because there's going to come a time, like I said, there's not going to be enough oil to go around, and there are going to be people that want it. And we're not going to be able to give it to them. Because if we spend the time waiting on them, we're going to miss the, miss the train, so to speak. Scripture states five different times the Messiah's return is going to be like a thief. So we have to be on our guard. And we cannot waste time when issues arise in the assembly. We don't want to be caught unaware or distracted should he return. And I think that's something that's... Uh, well, it's supposed to be one of the founding principles of this country is a, a right to a quick and speedy trial, but that has that doesn't that's not the case anymore. If you read through Scripture about how they dealt with these issues, it wasn't, and they came to Moses, and then six months later something finally happened. It was just like it happened, they dealt with it, and that's how we, you almost have to. It's like a band aid; you just have to do it and get rid of it, and you have to move on because when you don't. You're distracted, and in that nebulous in-between time when things are kind of up in the air, that's when Satan does his work. That's why Yahweh is so, he's this black and white in a lot of cases. He's very no-nonsense. All right, Esau, all right, Edom, this is what you did wrong. You didn't repent for it. You didn't ask for any forgiveness. You're done. And then boom. It, and granted, time in Yahweh's size is a little bit more relative than it is to us, but we're a little flock. There's not very many of us. Now, I, and, I, and I hate to say that because this is like, oh, we're only a handful of people, and it sounds depressing, right? But it's true. Luke twelve thirty two. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And I know that, I mean we're seeing growth in this assembly like I've never seen before in my life. Now, granted, I'm not that old. I'm only 33, but still, I've seen a lot of assemblies, and I've seen a lot of them, they're stagnant. They're not doing anything. They're not growing. They're not moving. And I think that's telling. Because we have to remember, in Revelation, there are only seven assemblies recorded. Now, that could be metaphorical, literal, I'm not sure, but there's only seven recorded. 
and only two of us. But there's even fewer of us that are actually doing the work. Now, that's not a dig on anybody here. That is not a dig on anybody here. Just saying, in the body, we're so limited in our numbers that we, we all have to pitch in. Because we can't afford to let these wicked people peel away precious members. Because when somebody leaves, if somebody's gone, you notice it. That's the beautiful thing about being a small flock is that you know all the sheep. And it hurts when one is gone. Yahweh has the final say in this. We only have to hold out. Justice will be served. We just have to, well, like Isaiah said, when the time comes, we just have to hunker down and just wait for the indignation to pass. Because these, that's the thing about wickedness is that it's kind of self-consuming. Eventually, these people are going to, I mean, it's all just going to, it's going to fall apart. Yahweh's given them over to a reprobate mind. They're literally got, they've got the minds of animals at this point over certain things, some people. Like, it's, it's getting bad. And just like you see in nature, they're going to kill each other. It's going to kill each other off, and they're going, it's just going to be blind rage over just sin and wickedness. And, you know, Yahweh help us in that time. But I pray that this gives you a new appreciation of Obadiah. I know it's short, but it is sweet. And there, while it's a message of judgment, it's a message of, of condemnation, but it's also a message of hope. And it's a reminder for us to keep our eyes open. And we have to take care of our precious small flock that we have because there's just not very many of us. And I think that uh, when Yahshua said straight is the way and narrow is the gate and few are they that find it, I think that's about one of the most literal things we read in Scripture. I just think that we're so blessed to be where we're at today. Every single one of you in the chairs, online, YouTube, people watching this in the future, you know, Yahweh's calling you. And that's an honor that is worthy of, I mean, it's incomparable to anything else on this, in this life. So I pray that this gives you a new appreciation of Obadiah. It's a short book, but I recommend everybody study it and read it. Because it is an example and a reminder that this all belongs to Yahweh. He's, it's only temporary. Satan's rulership of this earth is only temporary. And the battle belongs to Yahweh. So Yahweh bless you.